that is a kick in the pants, or I should say a kick in the lightsaber, because it is more in line with today's themed episodic content. Welcome to the Fremis Show. I'm Fremis. <laughs> um, today, we're talking about Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I've been, always been a big Star Wars fan. There was a period of time where it was kind of uncool to like Star Wars. I remember when the um, when they re-released the trilogy in the '90s, Star Wars reached Star Wars mania that had not been seen since the turning of the previous decade from the '70s to the '80s, and then it reached peak fandom in the mid '90s, and then sort of bubbled down again. Then we had the prequels, and yada yada yada. It's been going, going, going ever since. After the prequels, they decided to do some sequels and ran afoul. Well, they ran afoul with the prequels, too. A lot of people that are unhappy with the prequels. And now enough time has passed, two decades worth, in fact, of time has passed where people are now starting to appreciate the prequels. And maybe we need to wait an additional two decades for people to start appreciating the sequel trilogy. I like it all, man. I like all of it, despite the the stuff that doesn't work and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work but you know I, I take the good with the bad when it comes to star wars you know um one of my favorite things to do is sort of you know uh armchair quarterback monday monday afternoon you know sort of uh hindsight hindsight is 2020 yada 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 uh sort of look at the star wars stuff like I would have done this. This is how I would have done this completely from a fan perspective. It takes a lot of effort to make a movie like this, but you know, you can, it's, this is the type of stuff where you can really approach it with your fan opinion. And generally it could be really highly regarded because it's such a heightened fandom. You know, Star Wars is a heightened fandom. Marvel is a heightened fandom. DC is a heightened fandom. You know, these are uh, fandoms with, with, with deep, passionate appreciations the same thing could be said for the horror community it goes on and on sports you know i don't think there's any at the same time i don't think there's any fandom that's like casual there's no casual fandoms out there it's like you're either a fan or you're not that's not true i don't know let's let's dive into it anyway in any case gizmodo posted this article and it really had me it really had me kind of wondering. It had me scratching my head because they're kind of right that the article is the title of this video, which is how did Palpatine survive after Return of the Jedi? They never really explain it in the sequel trilogy. They kind of do. They go into it a little bit. But we're going to read this. We'll, we'll talk about all that stuff afterwards because I have a lot of questions. Like I said, for the most part, I appreciated the sequel trilogy for what it was. I thought that J.J. did land the plane with Rise of Skywalker after what happened with Last Jedi. I think Last Jedi as a movie by itself without being a part of a trilogy works, but as a, the middle part of a trilogy, it's like, it, it, it like boggles my mind. I get my, bud, my blood boils when I think about how they fumbled the football so hard with The Last Jedi. But I'm gonna digress. Let's go to the article here. So here it is. How did Palpatine survive after Return of the Jedi? This is by Jermaine Lassier. Lucy, sorry if I butcher your name, from Gizmodo. By the way, Gawker is back as well. Welcome back, Gawker. I used to read Gawker all the time. So there's, there's, Empire, uh, there's Emperor Palpatine 
but you know he's also known as Darth Sidious. That's his Sith name. The dead speak. Oh, that was that the, not the worst part about the crawl for Episode Nine? The dead speak because the thing that they didn't tell us, they didn't tell us that at the well, they didn't. I don't think they knew. They kind of were. They were figuring these things out as they went along, which is probably the biggest sin of the sequel trilogy. At least with at least with the prequel trilogy, you can say. George Lucas may have gone in whatever direction he went in, but he knew where he was going. Like he had this idea that by the end, Darth uh, Anakin Skywalker is going to become Darth Vader. And I mean, he also had it a little bit easier than say the sequel trilogy, because with the sequel trilogy, you can really go anywhere with the prequel trilogy. Everything has to line up with what happens in Star Wars episodes four, five, and six. So in a way it's kind of like the target for, for George Lucas was a lot easier, I think, again, hindsight being 2020, than say the sequel trilogy where you can really go in any direction and there's so much source material. There's so many expanded universe books. I mean, people have just gone crazy with the Star Wars universe, making it as deep and as rich as all of the, the Marvel mythology and DC mythology that's out there. I mean, you can spend hours and hours and hours pouring over characters that either had a, a frame of screen time, like a second of screen time, or maybe even never made it to the frame at all and learn about, you know, the, the you know, the trials and tribulations that they had as a teenager, a fictional character that doesn't exist, that isn't even portrayed in movies and yet has this whole backstory to, to him or them or whatever. It's vast and deep is the point. And they didn't go with any of that. They deviated from everything. They just sort of, they just sort of, and and what's the the other big, the biggest issue with, with, with that sequel trilogy is that there was no showrunner. They didn't have their Kevin Feige or whatever his name is. They needed a Kevin Feige to be showrunning the three sequels. They needed someone to, whether it was Kathleen Kennedy, could have been, I think it should have been John Favreau. John Favreau should have been over, overseeing and i know he got involved later with the star wars universe but you know had they somehow done the mandalorian beforehand like the reins should have been handed over to him and frankly i think they could fix things up quite a bit if they were to give him like carte blanche like give him the keys to the kingdom and let him recut the star wars sequel trilogy okay let him recut it and, and put it out on Disney Plus and make it better. There's so much footage we haven't seen. There's probably a whole nother movie or a whole nother trilogy of movies in the footage that we didn't see in any case. The, in the third movie, all of a sudden, Emperor Palpatine, after being absent for two films with no inclination that he might be pulling the strings behind the scenes, is suddenly, hey, I'm back. And, you know, again, you can call it a Hail Mary from J.J. Abrams, who's dealing with the mess that Ryan Johnson left with, left him with, because that's what he did. Ryan Johnson made a mess of, of, of an arc and then goes, here you go, do whatever you want with it. You know, had Ryan Johnson been, you know, doing the final film or had been doing a singular Star Wars film, great. Love Ryan Johnson's vision. Cool. I respect that dude. But the truth of the matter is, is that he's supposed to be a team player. He's supposed to be handing the baton to the guy after him. And he just makes a mess with things, a mess. And then as a result, here's the Hail Mary. Oh, Palpatine's still alive. But how did he come back to life? That's what we're here to, to learn from Gizmodo is going to, is going to tell us. 
The Dead Speak on the official Star Wars website, in fact. In a new blog post on the site today, Lucasfilm story group member Emily... Oh, Emily, I can't pronounce your last name, honey. I'm sorry. Emily Shakani explained the contingency, the canon name for exactly how Emperor Palpatine died, came back to life, and returned to power in Star Wars. A plan that was, according to the site, in place long before Darth Darth Vader threw him down a shaft on the second Death Star, which is what happens in Return of the Jedi. If all of if all of this sounds sort of familiar, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's bad, well, this is all crucial information that hasn't really been collected in one place until now, that would have been would have made the huge question of how did uh, Palpatine come back at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker understandable. That was a really long sentence to swallow and read at the same time. The point is, is that it would have been helpful to have that at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker. However, if this is familiar, maybe you've read about it on this very website where James Whitebrook had previously dug deep into Palpatine's plan, something that was teased throughout multiple novels, TV shows, comics, video games, and more, culminating in his episode nine return. And now here is the sin right here. This is it. This is the problem. See that right there. Palpatine's plan, something that was teased through multiple novels, TV shows, comics, video games, and more culminating in his episode nine return. Now, look, I've never helmed a multi-million dollar feature film. I've never, you know, done anything that J.J. Abrams or anybody at Lucasfilm has ever done or at Marvel or whatever. But I think through sheer common sense, especially for a film that's supposed to be a four quadrant tentpole, you know, movie that's supposed to hit all the bases. That's the thing about Star Wars. Star Wars is not avant-garde, you know, jazz music. It's like Led Zeppelin doing communication breakdown in the 70s at an arena or Kiss doing Detroit Rock City and rock and roll all night. We just want to hear the hits, man. We just want to hear the big broad strokes that we need to for the story. You can't leave this stuff out of the story. If I was on that team, I would have been like, yo, we need to know how Palpatine gets back here in the third episode. You can't just like, just show him and be like, surprise, he's back. Like, it just doesn't work that way, you know? Um, and you're asking fans to do what you're asking the casual Star Wars fans. That's what I think this video is for. You're asking the casual Star Wars fans to do way too much work here, man. Palpatine's plan had to be teased. You want me to buy multiple novels, TV shows, comics, and video games? in order to figure out how he came back. That's too much money, too much time, and too much work for a casual Star Wars fan. That's what I should have said right before, because I'm not, I'm a very redundant person. The whole story is told in the excellent column, Star Wars Inside Intel. So we have to figure this out in a column, uh, in a column from Star Wars Inside Magazine, two years after the final film comes out. Like, come on which you can and should read at this link. Okay, well, let's open that up too. There you get the beat-by-beat breakdown of Palpatine's contingency, but we'll give you the too-long-did-not-read summary. Actually, I appreciate that. As we know from the three movies, when he rose to power, and the th- I mean, they literally, they spent three freaking movies showing us how Palpatine rose to power. 
And then you can't even give us one movie or even a fraction of, of a couple of, of, of sequel movies just to show us how he came back from the dead. Like, that's crazy to me. That's so crazy to me. I mean, that's, that's a sin. That's a problem there. Um, as we know from the three movies where, where he rose to power and the three where he tried to keep and extend that power, Palpatine, had, was all, what, Palpatine has always been a complicated planner with a penchant for evil. So that he had a plan for, so that he had a plan for resurrection in the event of his death isn't really that much of a stretch. Definitely not. I would agree, especially with like, you know, the whole thing about how you can save people from dying and all that Sith dark magic and whatnot. It makes sense that you would be able, and if the fact that, that Jedis can become force ghosts, you would think that, because that's what the Jedis are all about, the spirit and merging with the force. And, you know, the Sith are all about the flesh and the power within the flesh, which destroys their flesh at the same time as we see with the Palpatine clone in episode nine, right? That plan involved his consciousness being transferred to a clone on Zeagle, Exegol, Zeagle, whatever, where he had long been doing cloning experiments when alive and enlisting a few key people in the empire to wipe out the old ways and bring in the new. Pieces like Operation Cinder, which gets name dropped all across modern Star Wars canon. But again, it's like, so, it's like such inside baseball for the casual fan that's only gonna watch the movies and maybe some TV show, that when you bring Palpatine to life, we're gonna call shenanigans, we're gonna say bullshit. Meanwhile, as plans were being executed to wipe out the old empire, Palpatine himself, in a weak clone body on Exegol, did, am I pronouncing that right? Exegol? Did a few things. First, he began to build a new army, that was the final order, and then searched for a worthy vessel in which to be reborn. Eventually, he found one in his granddaughter, Rey, but they didn't even know who Rey was going to actually be as they were making this trilogy. This was all, like, made up at the very last moment. Her parents did, the be did their best to hide her, but eventually... She found herself drawn back into the story. And I think a couple decades from now, people like people who are not so invested as this was happening will be able to accept a lot of these, these ham-fisted details and actually enjoy and appreciate the sequel trilogy. You know what I'm saying? Um, she found herself drawn back into the story. It began with her grandfather's clone, Snoke. Okay, so that's crazy. So Snoke is actually a clone of Palpatine, according to this. I did not realize that. Wow. Which, through Luke, Kylo Ren, etc., set the wheels in motion for a confrontation with her grandfather. So, I mean, I guess it does make sense, because when we go to that planet, Ziegle, and we see Kylo Ren walking through and seeing all the, the busted up tanks and whatnot, we see, in fact, boom, there it is, right there. You see, like, Snoke-looking clones. So, obviously, Snoke is Palpatine. That would have been I mean, just that detail alone makes the whole sequel trilogy so much better, right? Snoke is Palpatine. That's the red herring. They kill Snoke, but it's really Palpatine. You know what I mean? Like that detail, that little, that little piece of information is completely left out of the trilogy. Show me where it says in the trilogy. And maybe I'm wrong. I've watched the trilogy, I think, two or three times now. I don't ever remember seeing a place where it says that Snoke is Palpatine, okay? That makes a lot of sense. It began with her. I mean, I love how they bury it deep in here. Like the front, the front of this 
article should be Snoke is Palpatine. That's how, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, set, set the wheels in motion for a confrontation with her grandfather. It's unclear if all of that was part of the plan or just the force or something. This story isn't a swish watch, I would agree. Um, Ray could have joined up with the Sith Lord, becoming Dark Ray. We get a glimpse of that in the movie and resulting in Palpatine's return. But instead, she uses the Force and the Jedi to kill him once and for all. End of contingency. Right. Or so we think, dot, dot, dot. This is an interesting story to be sure, but it all feels very, very much like putting a square peg in a round hole. And we know why that is. Like, loose, like Lucasfilm had half of the pieces to the puzzle and just glued them all together in a way that kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't. Huge holes in the story remain unanswered, including a brand new one. Did Palpatine's contingency have its own contingency? As it stands right now, the answer is probably no. I hope not. I mean, I think Palpatine's story is done. We don't need to see. In fact, I love the way that they end Rise of Skywalker. They end it perfectly. Rise of Skywalker ends perfectly. That's why I was like really okay with everything that happens because at the end of Rise of Skywalker, like the, the Jedi don't exist anymore, which is what Ryan Johnson was trying to make happen. And the Sith are gone. And the only thing that's left is Rey, who's like a force person with her lightsaber still. She's like learned, you know, the Jedi ways and she's of Sith, she's of Sith flesh and blood, right? So She's got everything of all that stuff is inside of her. And she chooses a new path called the Skywalker. When they, she gets asked her name, who is she? She's a Skywalker. I love that. Like what a great way to close a chapter and open up a brand new chapter. I mean, you can go in endless directions with this idea of the Skywalker. You never need to play with those characters again. They were used. I mean, what happens when we take out all our characters that we love and you play with them endlessly and put them in configurations that don't align with your fanboy or fangirl expectations? You get upset. You get frustrated by sort of, you know, just calling it Skywalker. It sort of, it takes all of that out of the equation. I love that. That's great. Just leave it, leave it like that, you know, and move forward. Then again, I'm also not, you know, then it's like a couple hundred years into the future. You're going to have, you have Luke's ghost maybe show up or something and inform Skywalker that he's the ghost of Skywalker. You know, maybe the Skywalkers are trying to commune with the ghost of Skywalker. Who knows, man? I mean, there's so many places you can go with that. Um, but I really hope that the, the contingency has no contingency because that would just be stupid. Uh, uh, dumber than what we already got. As it stands right now, the answer is probably no. But if another filmmaker comes up with an idea, anything is possible. Bringing Palpatine back to life has taught us that. So again, for more, head over to Official Star Wars website and check out our 2019 Article 2. Um, so let's go. Let's now go. We're going to head on over, guys. We're going to take a little field trip. We're going to go over to that next article real quick. Go to the Chrome tab. Okay, so this is called Star Wars Inside Intel, Palpatine's Contingency Plan. We're not going to read in depth about the whole thing because it's just probably way too much to read right now. But let's just let's just look it over. This is by Emily. Oh, yeah, right. We already know her last name because I can't pronounce it. Uh, but this is the full. This looks really. Is this long? It's not terrible. It's not terribly long. I mean, let's take a look. Let's see. Although Poe Dameron may, might not have understood how Palpatine returned in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and was understandably exasperated at the news, it was all part of the contingency, a plan that anticipated Palpatine's death and prepared 
for his return to power. Like this all should be in the movie, man. Palpatine was a talented manipulator from killing his own Sith master, creating conflicts and conspiracies within the rebel Senate to orchestrating a galaxy wide war and taking power as emperor. As a Sith Lord, Palpatine craved power, but feared losing it. This compelled him to design a backup plan, officially, officially known as the contingency. In the event that he died, Palpatine's plot would go into effect. So again, we understand now that Snoke is a Palpatine clone. I feel like there are so many ways that could have they could have hinted at this. You could have that showrunner who John Favreau, whoever is like showrunning the situation, could have been like, okay, the only thing we need to know is or that we need to get through is that it starts off with Snoke and that it ends with Palpatine. We need some hints in the middle movie and then boom, grand. You can even do, you do the grand reveal at the end of movie too. That's how it happens. So you have Kylo Ren cuts, um, they, they cut uh, uh, Snoke in half, but then at the very end of the movie of uh, after, you know, Luke Skywalker evaporates, which sucks all its own. We're going to talk about that in a second. After Luke Skywalker evaporates, suddenly Kylo Ren is like hanging out and he hears Snoke's voice and Snoke goes, uh, Snoke's voice starts to mutate into Emperor Palpatine's voice. And that's how Kylo Ren hops in his ship and ends up on the Sith planet at the beginning of episode nine. Boom. Like even just inserting that one little scene would have made everything feel so much more cohesive. It would have connected movie seven to movie eight to movie nine, leaving everything roughly the way it is. As a matter of fact, if you want to boil down a single scene that would make everything kind of feel okay while leaving everything the same, it would be Snoke's voice revealing that he is Palpatine to Kylo Ren at the end of episode eight. Boom. Saying that right here and right now. So there's that. Uh, let's keep reading. After Emperor Palpatine... Well, uh, this is for, uh, in this is originally introduced in Claudia Gray's Star Wars Lost Stars as a concept. The contingency itself began in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy. After Emperor Palpatine was unexpectedly betrayed and killed by Darth Vader, and word of his death, along with the destruction of the second Death Star, traveled across the Empire, the contingency unfolded as planned. Sentinel droids were dispatched to Imperials throughout the galaxy and advised them on the next steps, starting with Operation Cinder. Operation Cinder sought to destroy Imperial and New Republic planets alike with the goal to destroy sensitive information or other liabilities. The operation was carried out in various ways, including the use of climate disruption arrays. I guess that disrupts the climate on different planets. <laughs> Um, once fired upon a planet, would create a catastrophic weather conditions, vortex detonators, a customized explosive that made planets of Necronius uninhabitable, and the Imperial Navy, who engaged in battles on planets that attempted to resist the operations, such as Naboo, which is where Palpatine's originally from, Burnin Khan, as mentioned in The Mandalorian, uh, Abd... Abd Nido and more. Operation Cylinder was devastating, but also solidified many of the allegiances to the newly erected New Republic and saw many Imperials 
defeated due to the brutality of the operation. Sounds like we're reading about history. This is completely made up. It hasn't even been filmed. There's no movie version of this. This is just complete fiction upon fiction upon fiction. Well, movies are fiction too, but at least if you reenact something that's not real, it feels a little bit more real than say this, which is just writing. That's not to say that one can't create a world inside their head when they're reading something. Of course they can. One major element of the contingency was about a year after the emperor's death at the Battle of Jakku. So that's another thing. Like, I didn't even know that. So the Battle of Jakku, Jakku's the planet where Rey is on and Millennium Falcon is on. This battle happened a year after the emperor's death. What? That's crazy. Led by self-appointed counselor of the empire, Gallius Rax, he brought the remainder of the empire to Jakku in a last stand against the New Republic. The majority of the Imperials involved in the battle believed that they would retake the galaxy with a victory, but the contingency planned for this to be the conclusion to the Empire. Rax was originally supposed to have the entire planet of Jakku destroyed, along with the Imperials, as further punishment for failing Palpatine. What was unaccounted for in this plan was Grad and Admiral Ray Sloan. I have no idea who that is. An underling of, Gallic, of Gallius Rex, Sloan was kept in the dark about the contingency in Rax's involvement. As such, Sloan began to believe that Rax was deviating, was deviating the Empire from its intended glory. On Jakku, Sloan confronted Rax where she shot and killed him. In his final moments, Rax appointed Sloan to the contingency and urged her to retreat to the unknown regions with Brendel Hux to create a new and better empire. So like, okay, great. Now you're like all of this stuff, I kind of am grasping it a little bit. This is basically explaining how we got the first order, which is the new and better empire. But like, cause you know, at the beginning you're kind of like, why is there a, 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 why is there a first order? Why is there a resistance? I mean, why can't this be, why can't this be about the New Republic? You know, just the New Republic, just we don't know about it for 30 years. You know, I don't know, it's kind of stupid. With Rax dead and thanks to Sloan, Jakku was saved. Rax's plan to completely destroy the Empire did not unfold, with the remnants of the Empire continuing for years following the official end of the war. Sloan would heed Rax's final demands and head for the unknown regions. For many years prior to his demise, Palpatine sought immortality on the Sith planet of Exegol. It was on this planet that he and his cultists, known as the Sith Eternal. So again, like there's only supposed to be two Sith, a master and apprentice, which started thousands of years before the, the, the prequels happened. You know, there was this one, there used to be lots and lots of Sith and they all like would fight each other because they're all devious and evil and whatnot. And then one guy, he did this force explosion that, made it so that there was only a master and apprentice. So there's tons of Jedi on one side, but with the Sith, there's only a master and apprentice. And at some point, the apprentice betrays the master and becomes the new master and then appoints a new apprentice. And that's how the chain of, of command is supposed to go. But then all of a sudden, they introduce this idea of Sith Eternal. And there's like all these like Sith people that we, we see in the arena on, on that planet, on, on Palpatine's planet. And they're never explained in the movie at all. Like we, we didn't know that they were Sith Eternal. Uh, and they were all, ex uh, I guess they all experimented with cloning. Uh, Exegol was also where Palpatine built his final order fleet. There's 10,000 Star Destroyer ships. As an immortal Sith, Palpatine would reign supreme over the galaxy with his Sith armada. This would be, so that's the idea of what the new empire would be, right? 
This would be the grand finale of the contingency known only to the select few, which is fine, which is to in my mind is totally valid and really the best way to sort of end episode nine is like have Palpatine secretly be alive like that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I was always okay with that. As a matter of fact, I think that's that, like, that was such a good place to go for J.J. Abrams after everything that had happened with episode eight. When Palpatine was killed on the second Death Star, his consciousness was transferred into a clone of his own body on Exegol, but the body was too weak to contain him. This led to Palpatine creating more clones and strand casts of himself in hopes that one would offer a more suitable vessel for him to inhabit. All of this effort ultimately culminated in Rey, the daughter of one of Palpatine's strand casts. So I guess a strand cast isn't so so Pal so Rey's so Palpatine is actually kind of the father of Rey, if I'm understanding this. Is a strand cast like it's not a proper like offspring? It's not a son or a daughter. It's I guess a clone of some kind, and then that clone got married and had Rey. So therefore, Rey is actually Palpatine's child, let alone grandchild. It's interesting. Uh, she was the perfect vessel, but her father and mother did everything they could to hide her from her sinister grandfather, blah, 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 blah. Destiny, I guess that makes sense as to why Palpatine didn't really care for his son, because the son is really just a clone extension of him. Destiny and the contingency would catch up to Ray, and I'm sure it probably helped to, you know, uh, uh, get married and have a, 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 a daughter by biological means bringing in someone else into the picture instead of just you know, trying to clone his same old body over and over. Maybe that's why, you know, Ray is offspring. She's more, her body is more stable, which makes her a better, you know, host. I don't know. Um, so Destiny and the Contingency would catch up to Ray in the form of the First Order, led by one of Palpatine's evil duplicates called Snoke. Although Snoke was unsuccessful in bringing Ray to Palpatine and was unexpectedly killed by his protege Kylo Ren, so in a way, Palpatine had done with Kylo Ren what he had done with Darth Vader. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, Palpatine continued to pull the strings in the order to reel in his granddaughter so that he could finally achieve ultimate power. With the final order operational, it slowly deployed from Exegol and pledged to destroy planet after planet. The resistance worked quickly to counter this new threat. Rey accepted her role as a Jedi and a rebel and arrived on Exegol to bring a conclusion to the conflict. So she's like, she really is the last Jedi. It's not Luke Skywalker in, I mean, I love the title of it being called The Last Jedi, actually. It captured my imagination when I first heard it, you know, but I was so bummed that Luke Skywalker died at the end of part two of episode eight, but more on that in a minute. Palpatine planned for Rey to, to partake in a ritual which would allow him to inhabit her body and live forever. But Rey had other plans with the help of Ben Solo, AKA Kylo Ren and Jedi past. Rey took her front It's That's like, how are you not gonna have all the fucking Jedi? They even filmed them. They filmed all the cameos. They filmed every single fucking cameo. You had fucking every single Jedi ghost standing behind Ray, like that would have pushed everybody who was like fighting episode nine tooth and nail would have been pushed over completely by that scene. No fanboy could resist a scene like that. And they just like totally like squandered the opportunity. Really, really a bummer if you ask me.
Ray took her final steps and defeated the Phantom Menace once and for all. And that's it. That's that's the thing. All right. So, I mean, could they bring him back again? Yeah, probably. Like, would I want to see that? Most certainly not. I'm not really interested in any more Palpatine stories. What does interest me and what really bothers me about the new Star Wars trilogy more than anything is the way that Luke Skywalker was handled. I hated his character's arc in episode eight. I think I would have been okay with the arc in episode eight if Luke had actually, you know, brought his X-Wing out of the sea, which would have been a callback to the Empire Strikes Back, right? It's like setting it up for slam dunks. But like Ryan Johnson's so busy subverting expectations. He's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. Subverting your expectation. Nah, 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 nah. Um, you know, could have could have raised the, the X-Wing, popped in the X-Wing, gone to the, the crate planet, you know, with the, with the rock salt where Kylo Ren is and actually face off against the First Order. You could have seen how powerful Luke Skywalker had become. Maybe you even have Luke Skywalker fighting Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren kills Luke Skywalker mirroring Star Wars, you know, where, where, where Darth Vader kills Ben Kenobi, that would have been, that would have worked. Or maybe even Luke lives, you know, um, I also thought a huge missed opportunity was having Leia sacrifice herself by being the one, instead of introducing us to a character played by Laura, Lauren Dern, Laura Dern, Lauren Dern, whatever her name is, you know, for, for a chunk of the movie, have that, why, why couldn't Leia have that opportunity since she was going to die in the next episode anyway. And since she had passed away in real life, tragically have her board the motherfucking millennium Falcon and friggin' go to light speed and break open the ship, sacrificing herself. And then that is what causes Luke to raise his X-wing out of the water, hop in it, fly out there and rescue everybody. And then you have Luke come back for the final movie. And Mark Hamill is alive. Carrie Fisher is tragically not alive. Boom. Everything works out. Instead, we got this abomination of a Frankenstein performance of, of Carrie Fisher that she probably would have cringed at herself in episode nine. It was so bad. It was so, I mean, like, I, my, I, I couldn't believe it that they, like, did what they did with her character. It was just really, really bad. Um... So, but Luke Skywalker dies, okay? That sucks. Like, that really sucks. And then they bring him back, and it's like J.J. Abrams. Like, he literally uses Luke as a force ghost just to give a big middle finger to Ryan Johnson, right? And then what happens in The Mandalorian, they bring back Luke Skywalker. And Luke Skywalker takes uh, Baby Yoda off with him. They, they chose him to be the Jedi. That's That would be worthy of training Baby Yoda. And it's freaking awesome man we all talk it's like the redemption of luke skywalker and he was actually there on set and it's great but the problem is too it's like you know with that they have to de-age him and it's like how much can they really do with the resources that they have i mean it's so expensive to, and you know do you really want to have the whole show be you know have him take take away from the rest of the show which is great on its own without having jedis in it i mean that's the that's the, that's what makes rogue one so great you know rogue one or I should say a testament to why Rogue One is so great is that it doesn't have any lightsabers, it doesn't have any Jedi. You only get a little lightsaber at the end. It's like friggin' great when it's there. It hits and it's out. It's not just like over and over again, hammering us with lightsaber this and lightsaber that. It's just like, this gives us a little taste to remind us that this is in the Star Wars world. Um, 
So they bring Luke Skywalker back in this really cool way at a time before he dies because the Mandalorian takes place 10 years or six years after Return of the Jedi. And episode eight is like 30 something years after Return of the Jedi. So it's like, what happens in that time? And then Luke Skywalker, you know, becomes a crab apple and then dies. And it's just like, it's like, so what about this? How about this? Here's another article I found, and this really captured my imagination. I saw a comic book frame that further captured my imagination with this. How about this? Let's let's ask this question, or this question is asked, and I want to ask the question as well. Star Wars, was Palpatine planning on cloning Luke? As witnessed in the original Star Wars trilogy, Darth Vader served as Emperor Palpatine's faithful apprentice. But as Luke Skywalker grew in power as a Jedi, Palpatine made it clear to Vader that he had hoped to recruit Skywalker as a Sith, a plan which ultimately failed, despite Vader tossing him down a chasm on the Death Star 2. Palpatine shocked audiences by returning in Star Wars The Rise of the Skywalker, a feat that made possible through the use of cloning, which makes sense too. Like the idea like that people are upset that, you know, of course, I mean, we have the Clone Wars, remember? Like cloning is a thing in this, in this world in this universe. So it's like, of course, of course, Palpatine would use Sith magic to clone himself again. That, that totally works, man. That's totally, totally valid. Um, though the most recent issue of Star Wars Darth Vader, which is a great series, I've read the first 20 or 30 books um, in, in, that, in that run, Star Wars Darth Vader hints at Palpatine having a grand plan to clone Luke if he couldn't convince him to join the dark side. Warning, okay, this was actually from issue 11. So maybe I didn't read as many as I thought because I don't remember reading about this, but I read a lot of Star Wars Darth Vader. It was a whole bunch of books. The current arc of Darth Vader focuses on Palpatine putting Vader's survival skills and commitment to his master to the test. Because you know what's cool about Darth Vader or in general about Darth Vader? It like takes place... A lot of it takes place in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. It, a lot of it deals with, with Darth Vader, like, realizing that he has a son. You know what I mean? Like, and coming to terms with that. It's, like, really, really, it's a really, really interesting book that gives us a whole side of Darth Vader that we never really uh, got to see in the movies, right? Um, Vader's survivor skills and commitment to his master to the test, sending him to Mustafar to survive without the help of his technological upgrades. With the book taking place between Star Wars, okay, so this book takes place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Readers knew he had survived the ordeal, uh, that readers knew he survived the ordeal. Was the journey instead focused on disturbing, on the disturbing relationship between the two figures? Fans also knew that Vader directly served Palpatine with this comic series depic depicting the Empire, the Emperor ruthlessly testing Vader mentally and physically, confirming just how twisted the relationship really was. Vader's quest to confront Palpatine results in his arrival on Exegol, who fans witnessed in Rise of Skywalker, uh, who fans witnessed in Rise of Skywalker, where uh, was where Palpatine so Palpatine had constructed uh, snow clones as well as a new body for himself. But at one point in the latest issue, Vader walks past various vats containing Snoke bodies. 
as Palpatine details that he could use his scientific discoveries to make nearly anything possible. Vader then notices one vat containing a severed hand, presumably the one Luke lost when he faced Vader. The, the, here's what it says in the bubble right here. Ready? Can you look? You can see Vader has a robot hand right here. The scalpel of creation. I use it to make all of these things. I can use it to make anything. And it shows Vader looking at Luke's severed hand that Vader himself cut off. As with many of Palpatine's discussions with Vader, he spoke cryptically, leaving Vader and the reader to infer the true meaning of his words. In Star Wars Attack of the Clones, Anakin lost a hand, with it being possible that the appendage in the vat actually belonged to Vader and that Palpatine was hinting that he could grow himself, grow him an entirely new unscarred body. However, the time frame of the series would make it more than likely, it's obviously it's Luke's hand, it's not Vader's hand. It makes it more than likely that, Empire, that the Emperor managed to recover Luke's hand from Cloud City, as opposed to having obtained Anakin's hand from Genosis and held on, to the, held on to it for years in secret. Given Palpatine's seeming disdain for Vader, it would also seem more than likely that his clone discoveries would be used as a contingency plan if Luke managed to perish before he could officially embrace the dark side. Of course, with many more issues in the series to come, it's possible that fans will be treated to more reveals of the twisted connections between Palpatine, Vader, and Luke. What do you make of this scene? So that's the scene. And what I really love about that, I love the idea of cloning Luke for a few different reasons, because forget about whatever Vader or whatever em the Emperor's plans for Luke are. I love the idea that maybe it started making me think about the Mandalorian, right? So if in this comic book, Darth Vader is walking by various vats and he, sleep, he sees all the Snoke, the Snoke clones, and then he sees the severed hand and has an intuition that it's Luke's severed hand. What if Palpatine had made a bunch of Luke clones? And what if one of those Luke clones turned out to be a different Luke Skywalker that came or somebody that is a clone of Luke Skywalker? Because when I don't think Luke calls himself Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian, right? So is it possible that what if that was a clone of Luke Skywalker? And that he himself was like a Jedi on his own thing. And then you all of a sudden you can have all the adventures you want with Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker's clone, and still have Luke Skywalker do all the stuff that he does in the movies. Give Luke Skywalker a better ending than what he deserved. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine if Luke Skywalker dies, however he dies in episode eight, and then comes is all of a sudden without explanation back to life in episode nine. We know that JJ Abrams had a whole idea for Luke's severed hand and the lightsaber. How cool would it be if suddenly Luke is back, but it's the clone of Luke and he's sort of taken all of Luke's urgency and teams up with Ray and yada, yada, yada. And I know that sounds kind of stupid, but it would be kind of cool, man. It's a way to sort of like, if, if everything that happens in episode eight was like set in stone, it's like, let's bring Luke back with a clone of from his severed hand from Empire Strikes Back. That's how you open up episode nine. You know, he's clones, he clones Luke's hand or he clones Luke from his hand. And then like, you know, yada, yada, yada. It just would be really cool. It would be really, really cool. And then all of a sudden it's like, maybe the clone 
is actually trained in the ways of the Sith by one of Emperor Palpatine's like failing clones as he's trying to get this body ready for him to take over. And then Luke's clone discovers the secret. He discovers the secret like and deflects to the, 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 the light side. And then he gets trained by Obi-Wan's ghost and Yoda's ghost. And then he hears baby Yoda giving off his, his force vibes and goes, come on, baby Yoda, let me show you the way. And then, I don't know, that'd be really great. And then, and then you see him later with Ray, who knows? All right. It's, that, it, it, it's messy. It's messy. I'm, there's a really cool story in there though. There's a really, really cool story. So that's, that's what I would do if I had the keys to the zoo. Um, I hope you like this content. If you do, let me know. If there's something that you guys want to talk about, let me know. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Um, most of all, please, uh, if you really want to support the channel, consider buying a cup of coffee, joining the Patreon. It's very cheap. Um, buy a t-shirt. I got t-shirts in the shop. Got more t-shirts coming along the way. Um, and make sure most of all, more than anything else, make sure that you are subscribed. And I appreciate your viewer support. We have a message from Raphael here. He says, I think the best thing to do would be if they revealed that Snoke was dark Darth Plagueis, the mysterious Sith imp implicitly mentioned by Palpatine in episode three as his master who could cheat death. Well, I think there was a lot of, there was definitely a lot of um, talk about that, right? Like in between the the sequel episodes like they talked about that that being a possibility or people thought that that snoke might be that guy or whatever it all, at the end of the day none of it matters anymore it's all it's all over i hope that they keep doing star wars stuff i i'm loving the mandalorian uh, i would love to see luke skywalker get his own series and again you could easily justify you could easily justify having um Sebastian, Stan, Sean, whatever that guy, that guy from uh, Marvel, Bucky. You could easily have Bucky be Luke Skywalker's clone in his own set of adventures. And then that's how you justify sort of bringing in a new actor as a clone of Luke Skywalker because he looks so much like him. A lot of people were trying to fan cast that dude as Luke Skywalker. So that's it. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a nice way of saying goodbye. We say peace and hair grease. <laughs>